0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Svarm Chatter podcast. Today's episode, we're going to be joined by, joined by Professor Sarah Rieger, who's the chair of Judaic Studies at Brooklyn College. And we'll be discussing um, mainly her book about, uh, entitled My Father's Journey, A Memoir of Lost Worlds of Jewish Lithuania, published by Academic Studies Press. Um, this is about her father and her illustrious grandfather as well. Shemcha Rieger's, it's all. his yard site today as we're recording this on Gimel Omar Cheshvan. So thank you very much for joining me.
1: My pleasure, I hope.
0: (laughs) Okay, so why don't you start off, just uh, tell the listeners uh, a brief, you know, background about yourself. Me? Yeah,
1: about Um, yourself. Okay. Um, Born in Brooklyn, raised in a combination of New York and Montreal, then back to Washington Heights, um, had the... um, whether it either it is or misfortune of being the daughter of a professor at Yeshiva University and living in the same neighborhood. And um, on a certain level, you could say the same thing about being the granddaughter of my grandfather, because um, there were times when I went on introduction dates where the men were dating my grandfather and not me. Um, I, I went to Ramaz school, uh, graduated the high school there, um, City College, uh, Yeshiva University, Teachers Institute for Women at the same time, even though that was illegal, went off to Mahon Gold in Israel for half a year, uh, came back, studied for my Bechinot Gemer, got my teacher's degree, because in those days, every young woman had to have a teacher's degree just in case, because God forbid, you should actually have a career. Okay, so you know where I'm coming from. Um, went to CCNY and graduated with honors. Uh, Then I had a dilemma uh, because I applied to law school, medical school, and graduate school and couldn't decide which one to go to. So my older brother convinced me because he was in law school too and we could share books that I should go to NYU law school. I hated it. I dropped out after the first semester, and the dean there called me in to berate me. We finally let women into law school, and you're dropping out. And I said, yeah, I'll come back to you when I have my other degree. So uh, then the decision had to be medical school or graduate school. So uh, what happened was my father, very smart, because he wanted me to follow in his steps, um, got me, um, a part-time job to fill in for a teacher at Yeshiva University High School for girls who had been hit by a bus, and they needed someone to teach their English classes for the high school. So I went down, I said, figured, okay, I'll make up my mind. Went down, gave my first class, came home, my father was waiting for me, and he said, well, I said, I'm going to grad school, I'll become a professor. So he won. So I went to Columbia Graduate School. My combination was Middle East history and Jewish history. Now the next question you're going to ask is how did I get into Judaic studies? Okay, that's where the job was. There were no jobs in Middle East history when I was looking for, for, no, it happened, depends. We're talking about uh, the, the early 70s, mid 70s. And I kept saying to myself, okay, listen, the job opened up at Brooklyn College. I'll take it temporarily. And then when something opens up in my field, I'll switch over. That was 45 years ago. (laughs) Uh And uh, as a result of that, my fields of interest in terms of research and teaching obviously changed. They morphed. So I do courses on Middle Eastern and Sephardic Jews. I do courses on the Jewish woman. I do courses on Jewish diaspora, Jews of Italy, um, and my latest one was economic history of the Jews, and of course my course on Israel. Okay, so that's where I managed to. Get it. So
0: that's me. Okay, great. Yes. Yeah, where so- we now? So I was going to, just to to finish up one last thing, before we get into the book we're going to discuss, I did read your book on the Jews of Italy, which I enjoyed a lot as well. Is that like a crossover to mix like a little, they're not Middle Eastern, but they're like Sparty kind of, they're Italian. Where's Italy come in? Oh, I can't hear you.
1: My husband is an Italian Jew. Oh, wow. that's Right. And that was an eye opener for me because we usually teach Italy kind of at a side, as a side where we mentioned, yeah, someone so some went through there, we got poetry from here, Renaissance, yeah, and then we got some, 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 uh, some good stuff from there. But nobody really focused on it until I started learning all about the detailed things that the Italian Jews did and got fascinated, and therefore, the book and the course.
0: Wow. Yeah. Yeah. okay so that's interesting so your husband is italian and you're from the real brisk the real the real uh yeshivish families the the, the totally different kind of uh, judaism and that's
1: one of the reasons why i married him because he didn't care
0: okay? <laughs> yeah, right <laughs> oh, we did before. right right so so let's start off about that we're here to talk about your grandfather and the book that you published but your father's memoir so many listeners of this podcast i think will be familiar with your famous grandfather, of course, of Chazelik, who was the Dayan and the Avbesdin, I think, right in Brisk. Avbesdin, right. Avbesdin. So, I'm just curious. So, when you when you grew up, I mean, I think you you were born after he was. After you were. Oh yeah. Right. He, he, was, so you grown, he was killed in 1942. Right. So you weren't. Did you? But so, but you grew up knowing that your grandfather was the famous. Like did you grew uh, up. With of that course, now?
1: my father would never let us forget that. But it wasn't just my father it was everybody else also oh what's going to be with her we never know what the brains you know where the brains are going to go
0: yeah uh-huh so maybe so i said people know of him but maybe like a, there hasn't really been a, a biography or history written so just to give a little bit of a background on your grandfather and then your father as well
1: oh i didn't expect that okay my uh, grandfather was born in uh jewish lithuania uh, to a very poor family, uh, his father was a uh, Malamed, um, and his mother, from what I understand, was was quite a quite a personality. Um, the uh, main thing for him was that he got um, found, so to speak, uh, by these traveling men that traveled around for the different yeshivas, and as a result of that, he ended up in Velozhin Yeshiva, and uh, one of the most
0: Oh, I can't hear you again. again. Can't okay. hear me? No, now I can, now I can. Is it your end or my end? I don't know, now it's good. Okay.
1: Um, the, one of the most wonderful things that happened to him was meeting Reb Chaim um, Soloveitchik, because even though Reb Chaim was so much older than he was, it became a friendship that was indescribable. My father said, you just had to see the two men together. It was, it was love. On, on the, on the most wonderful, wonderful level that you could possibly have. And therefore, when the Voloshan Yeshiva was closed down, um, Reb Chaim was hired uh, in Brisk to be the rabbi, the Rav, and he said to the people from the community, he's not coming unless he comes with Simcha with Reb Simcha um, It wasn't just because of the great affection that they had for each other but it was also that Soloveitchiks are known for not making um, halachic decisions and uh, therefore he needed somebody like my grandfather who could actually sit there and make the halachic decisions. So they moved into the same house that was owned by the community and the Soloveitchiks lived in the ground floor and my grandfather and the family lived in the upper floor. So, whenever anybody came in that had to do with rabbinic things, those are the things that Rav Soloveitch did with, dealt with. And whenever it had to be a halachic thing, he pointed upstairs. <laughs> he said, Upstairs.
0: <laughs> yeah. I've heard that that's the split. So, so, if there was a halachic question, you went to some like you didn't go to Chaim. Is that how it okay. worked? Chaim didn't pass in anything?
1: Very, very, very few things. The, the um, story in both of our families is that a Soloveitcher can wake up one morning and and decide one way and convince everybody. And then he can wake up the next morning and decide in the opposite direction and convince everybody of that. So it's a joke, but it's not at the same time. I think it really, really hits home. So that's the role that my grandfather had. He was a Roshav Beddin. din and you asked about um, why he didn't write, the halachic decisions were made, but when the Nazis came in, the entire archive of Brest-Litovsk was destroyed. So there were no records that were left, or very few records that were left, of the halachic decisions that were made, unless it was in a letter that was written to somebody outside of Brisk, and that that community kept the
0: letter. So do we have like a lot of writings today from him? Do you still have writings and letters from your grandfather?
1: The stuff that I had was all the private things that I printed in the book, that I translated and printed in the book. Uh, the um, uh, other halachic uh, uh, decisions that there are, are, as I said, in a variety of other books. Uh, my father tried to collect them and put them together, um, but there's practically nothing. It was mostly oral memories of these types of things, of mm-hmm. a lot of
0: decisions. Right, so you're saying there aren't really any more writings, really?
1: No, not that I know of. Uh, I know that periodically something weird comes out of the woodwork, like a decision that he wrote that I saw um, that was being auctioned off in Lakewood or somewhere, uh, where he, recently, uh, where he made the decision and it went to Israel. It went to mandate Palestine uh, that had to do with a divorce of a woman. Now that brings me into what we know he was working on at about the time that he was killed, and that was Agunot. And the reason for this, I'm, 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 I'm guessing, but my father would never commit himself, but I think my guess as an adult is correct, he was trying to get his daughter out of a very unhappy
0: marriage. Yeah, you referenced that in the book. Do you want to? you man, Did you did you have anything to do with your your cousin? Was that why you? Right, he was just nifter recently, right?
1: Yeah, he he retired a, a long a while ago. He was he moved to Israel.
0: Yeah, Chaim and I kept
1: in touch. You know, Rabbi Golovsky every once in a while. But there's such an age difference between us, and we are such different generations in terms of approaches to life that I'm much closer to his children than I was to him.
0: His children live in, in in America or in Israel.
1: Uh, three of them live in Israel, and one of them lives in uh, Chicago.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are there any other? I'm just curious. Are there any other besides for your part of the family and the Golovskys? Are there other Riegers or no? Uh,
1: I had two brothers, but uh, I wouldn't consider them in the realm of the Riegers.
0: I'm <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, (laughs) why I'm just, why is it it's spelled, it looks like rigour, is that? Yeah, it's the spelling
1: of the name is one of those ways. It's not really a name. Uh, As I say in the book, we got the name because it was a period of the chappers, of the chotfim, the catchers that were coming through Eastern Europe. And that means that the Russian army would have taken all of the Jewish boys. Uh, above the age of 12, put them into the army, use them as soldiers, but also, of course, we're going to work on them to convert them to Christianity. And the only boys that were exempted from this draft were only sons. At least they were nice enough about that. You know, only sons. So my great-grandfather was, according to the family story, sitting there with three his three sons. The Hoppers came and... Um, off the top of his head, my great-grandfather said, no, 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 only this one is my son. Uh, the other two are are uh, relatives that are visiting from other cities. So the Russian said, so what's this one's name? And he came out with this Ryer, which didn't mean anything. So in Polish, it's spelled R Y I E R or something like that. And my oldest uncle, my father's oldest brother, when he joined the American army, that has his own story he tried to americanize it or anglicize it and he spelled it R-E-G-E-R And that's how we got it
0: yeah, yeah. but it is pronounced rieger right
1: rieger right because in polish it's it's a sound that's kind of in between rieger yeah
0: hmm. so jump back to your grandfather second i i think i mentioned so i mentioned so today is his yard site where we're recording yeah. this and Gim- Gimel Ghezhin. so. So. I mentioned to you before we started recording that I saw online it said Dalid. So, what's the date difference, and also how he was killed, right? Okay.
1: The um, when the Nazis took over Brest Litovsk, they uh, forced all of the Jews that didn't get out of there on time um, into into a ghetto, and um, they treated them the way they treated all Jews that were in ghettos. And at one point, uh, 1942, this is a year and a half after they. Uh, took over and broke their contract with Stalin, Um, that uh, they made the younger men go out and dig trenches outside Brest-Litovsk and uh, on Gimel Mar they marched all the men out, shot them dead, and the following day on Daled, they marched out all the women and the girls and they shot them dead and then they just covered up the, uh, the graves. We found out about the dates because obviously some people pretended to be shot and after the Nazis moved away, they crawled out into the woods and they survived. So that as the war came to an end and people started coming over to America, my father started getting these letters of Eidut, of, of, of I was there, I saw this and this happened, and this is, this is, this. so that's how it came. And on the two days, my father used to sit for two days straight, doing what the briskers do for yard sites. Uh We studied mishnayot, starting with the first letter of each. Um, uh, so it's Simcha Zelig, and, and he did all the mishnayot that they have the key for, which I still do. Um, and um, for the women, he had a big job because all three sisters were killed at the same time. So he did that and he cried. I was, I, I grew up knowing that, about the Holocaust and about, and about dead people, not all children know that.
0: Yeah. And your grandmother, I think you mentioned, but your grandmother had, had passed away before that, right? Yes,
1: 1938. My father made it back for a visit in 1937. My grandmother was still alive. I'm named after her. She died in 1938,
0: right? Mm-hmm. So I think let's talk about your father a little. We'll get back to your this. So your father, the book is your father's memoirs and it's a collection. Yes. I want to go the book for a minute to start off. The book is a, it's it, there's a bunch of different fonts. It's his memoir that he wrote that you translated. It's interviews. It's what you wrote. So explain a little bit what you did there. How I did you this. Okay. I'm an historian. So
1: I have to deal with a variety of different primary sources. You have the memoir that my father wrote when he was 23 you have the letters from my grandfather, you have the stories that everybody's brought up on with their families, uh, for better or for worse. And then uh, when he was relatively old, I actually got my father to sit down and let me interview him on a tape, which was one of the most unpleasant things I ever had to do because he didn't know what to do with it. And I just, as a side comment, as he would go back in time to talk about things, his languages switched. So if he talked about his experiences in Eretz Israel, he would be speaking in Hebrew. Then as soon as he went back to Eastern Europe, he ended up in Yiddish. So it's it's a whole combination. So that was fun. Uh, He also was very uncomfortable of how to speak into the microphone. So after a while, I just hid the microphone and had him look at me and just talk to me. So that kind of worked. So as an historian, I prefer chronology. I prefer having everything come out in, in chronological order. So I couldn't figure out how to deal with the different sources so that the reader would know which source I'm using. And then somebody said, use a different font for each one. I said, brilliant. And that's what did it. So you get the the font for the memoir, you get the font for the letters, and you get the font for me speaking and commenting on the different things so that I could explain like who different people were and... So that's how you get the different fonts, and it more or less follows chronology.
0: Right. So I read the book. I lent out the book, like I told you, and people should buy the book. It's fantastic. It's a great read, especially for anybody, but especially someone that was Yeshiva Bachar will really appreciate also seeing that experience that they went through. But you want to talk about a little bit, just a brief, quick biography about your father a little so people could if they, to get a little flavor for the book about his background? Okay. He
1: was the uh, third son born into a family of seven children. So it's two, his two older brothers were a generation, they were 20 years older than he was. I can't believe my grandmother had babies that long, but that's, that's beside the point. Um, okay. Um, he was uh, educated in brisk um, from the age that they always did. Age of three, you started in and he started and he gives a description of there. Um, how, he, how he learned, uh, which I find fascinating. Um, and then as he got older, you had different people that would pass through, different rabbis that would ba- pass through Brisk. They would tell my grandfather, no, he shouldn't be here. He should be in a, in a setting of a real yeshiva. And, and why doesn't he come to my yeshiva? Why doesn't he come to my yeshiva? So he tried out a couple of yeshivas on the way. And then during World War One he decided that he wanted to go to Slobodka. Slobodka at that time had moved down to Ukraine because the fighting, uh, it was in order to get away. They thought they were getting away from the uh, front where the fighting was going back and forth. Uh, Didn't quite exactly work that way. Uh, But my grandfather was pleased that he wanted to go to Slobodka. Uh, My grandmother was not. But at the same time, I should add that my grandmother's parents, a mother and an uncle, were in Ukraine. They were in um, uh, Kremenchug. So it's not as if my father was just going alone into the wild to, to, to be interviewed by, by their altar, but it also was that he could stay with his grandmother and uncle during the time that he was trying to get into the yeshiva. He was accepted, finally, and he describes his experiences in, um, in Kremenchug. He also describes how he decided to cross the river and go to a branch of, Kremench- of, of the Soblotki Yeshiva, which was in Karolov. Uh, his descriptions of the river and the crossings and the dangers are uh, unbelievable. But for us now, in the situation that we're in now with COVID-19, I think the most impressive thing is the two years that he went through what they called the Spanish flu. He was sick three times okay, with the Spanish flu. And you also had, he describes what the different yeshivas were like at the time with the boys just lying on the floor, how they survived. I have no idea. The description of himself being taken into the hospital in Kremachug and how one of our cousins came and actually found him there. Uh, I'm not going to spoil it. Read it. Okay. It's really impressive. But actually, I was thinking of lifting some of the quotations and sending them into the New York Times to show this is somebody who went through the Spanish flu. Look at what they went through. We're not the only ones that are in such a
0: situation. Yeah. Did he ever... When you were growing up, and not forget the book, did he ever talk about these the stories with the, with the pandemics at all? Like- oh, of course. He said, oh, this was a
1: time when I almost died. And this was the time that I thought I was shot at. Um, and, and we sat there, we were little kids. We cried, it was terrible. Um, he also described his train ride back. He got out just on time after the war was over. He also describes, by the way, a couple of pogroms. So it was Ukraine was not the best place to be. At the time, because you had not just the civil war between the whites and the reds, and for those of you who don't know your history of the Bolshevik Revolution, look up some background material for it. They also had the pogrom that took place because the Ukrainians were also trying to be independent. So you had all these soldiers coming in and out, and of course they ended up shooting at the Jews too. So you had wonderful
0: experiences with that. But he survived. Yeah. So I want to ask you. How old was he? And so, why did your grandparents let him go into this war zone? They thought, as a- well, they didn't
1: know because up in up in in um, in Lithuania, in Jewish Lithuania, because it's larger than Lithuania, it's 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 Belarus, Lithuania, and, and 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 Poland. You had the fighting that was going on there. You had the armies that were going back and forth over there, and you also had pogroms. And you also so there was really no place that was safe uh, from the from the, in the, during the First World War. We always connect with the Second World War. I'm, I'm a World War I person. Actually, I'm just publishing a book now. It's coming out in two weeks. World War I and post-World War I with, with um, it's called Churchill and the Shaping of the Middle East. Everybody heard of Winston Churchill. Everybody heard of the Middle East. So it's actually, that's my uh, scholarship background is that part and mandate Palestine. So yeah, no place was safe. And then when the fighting stopped, everybody started to come home, started to come back to, uh, uh, to Europe, to Eastern Europe. Um, and my father ended up going back to Brisk, but he also ended up going with the Slobodka Yeshiva. Okay, so, and the letters were very few and far between. And what people did is they sent messages oral messages. If you go through such and such, please give my regards to this one. Tell them I'm alive. You know, that kind of thing, which is historically very Jewish. That's the way people used to keep in touch through the millennia. Yeah. The travelers that went, yeah. (laughs) So he ended up in, um, back in in Slobodka and, um, but life for him was different because it's the period of the Haskalah. And you couldn't hide your, you couldn't do the ostrich act. Everybody knew. And books were coming out in Hebrew. And if you had Hebrew, you were able to to be exposed to the different ideas of the 20th century, early 20th century. And uh, once you started reading those books, you had to react to them. Or you hid from them. And as I describe in the book, there were spies in the yeshivas. And people on him to use the Yiddish uh, expression and um, it ended up politely with the request on the part of Harafingal uh, I think you should leave I think you should go back, he didn't say it that way I said he thinks you should go back to your father and my father took the hint and he knew that uh, at that point it, it, it wasn't going to work
0: how old was he at that
1: time? <sighs> Nine must have been 1921, so if he was born in 1903, figure it out, (laughs) okay, so he came back to Brisk and um, had to figure out what he wanted to do, and at that point, post-World War I, you had the Tachimoni schools coming into existence, one of them in uh, Bialystok and one of them in Warsaw, Okay, so my father asked his father for permission, my grandfather had to think it through, but I'm convinced that the fact that Rav Soloveitchik, J.B., Yoshiberg, was already in Germany at the university there, I think that played a role in my grandfather saying, yes, go, study secular studies and study
0: and get your Rabbanut there. Now was it was that was Raimishas at Tachkamani at that time? Now, now, one second. Now, that I can't. Was oh, One goes. of the reasons
1: why my father never spoke to him again.
0: <laughs> father didn't
1: have any. Didn't have any. When, he went, He went to the Bialystok one, which is, um, which was under the Mechter Ilui's leadership. Okay, Rav Polachik, whose descendants called themselves Poliachik. And he went purposely to the one in Bialystok because of, of the major through Eloy. Major Eloy in nineteen twenty two was brought over, was brought over to the United States uh, to become part of Yeshiv University, which was just going through what it was going through in terms of its development. So my father said, Okay, let me go to the one in, in Warsaw instead. Uh, Where he had Dr. Balaban, who was a leading scholar, and Rav Moshe Moshe Solveitschik would be the one who would be leading them into, into smicha. Okay, so he packed his bags and he moved again, and he went to Warsaw. And uh, what seems to have happened is, according to the story, read it in the book, and Chaim asked me to be careful how I put this into the book to do him a favor and not be really nasty the way my father was. I said, I'll I'll tinker with it a little bit. Okay, so I didn't make it quite as nasty as my father was. Um, There was a fight between Dr. Balaban and Rav Moshe, during one of the examinations of one of the Bacharim, and of course, everybody knew what was going on and everything. And Reb Moshe considered himself insulted by Dr. Balaban and wanted Dr. Balaban to apologize. Forget it, you're dealing with Litvox, they don't apologize. (laughs) So Reb Moshe packed his bags and left. So all of the young men who were there in order to get smicha from Reb Moshe could not get smicha. Okay?
0: And your father was one of those.
1: So that might have been one of the things that pushed him in the direction of moving out of the yeshiva world completely. And he became a, an active Zionist and um, was lucky enough to be able to get one of the few um, visas that was given out by the British to the Jewish agency um, to uh, go to Israel, mandate Palestine. Um, And he writes about that in in his memoir as well. Um, He was going officially as a halutz because that's the only way you could go. So his passport, which we have, which is a riot, and I show it to my classes, he was listed as a carpenter that he was going. My father couldn't even bang one nail into his right. Uh, So he went under that, but he was actually going to go to Hebrew University. Hebrew University was founded in 1925. My father went in 1926 and he was there until 1929, told us that he was starving and that that's why when he finally got his Palestinian papers, which are British papers, he went to the American embassy and because he was not Eastern European with his documents, he was British. They gave him the visa to America. Smart man, okay? Because you had all of these anti-eastern European. And he came over and he got his, the, my his brother, my uncle bought him the ticket. And he came over here and spent the rest of his life in the United States. Why, did
0: he, why did he decide to come to Rome? Why didn't he stay in well? Why did he leave? He claimed he had no money and no
1: food And he really was um, desperate and felt that he would have a better chance in the United States and at Yeshiva University. And you're asking about documents. One of my friends found a document that my, or at least proof that my grandfather had written to one of the rabbis in Jerusalem to write to Yeshiva University about my father, write like that. Yeah, you know, but that's, that was the way, Like, it still works that way. Yeah. Like, you
0: know? yeah. So did your father like learn at Yeshiva University? No, he became just, he started, got a job there. How did that work out when he got, went to Say YU Say that again? When your father went to YU, he went to YU as, as he learned there, he studied there or he went he, to?
1: No, he went as a student because doctor, uh, because the major to Ilui was here at the time. So he was coming over in order to get the degree. He got, when he came over here, um, Salo Baron was teaching at Columbia University and he took the documents that my father brought from Hebrew University, evaluated them, gave them over to Yeshiva, to Yeshiva University so that he was accepted already as a junior, as a junior in Yeshiva University, okay? And then he only had to do the two years And then again, he was taken under the wing of the Teachers Institute for Men, Dr. Horgan, Pinchas Horgan, who encouraged him to go for his doctorate. Without this kind of encouragement, he probably wouldn't have so much work. But he says, listen, you know all these Musser books. Why don't you just take a Musser book and write in your your dissertation, analyzing all of the stuff of where the material came from. And that's what my father did.
0: Which one? What did he write on? Ugh. I wrote it in the thing,
1: hold
0: on. Oh, and then I wanted to jump back with you about Musser that you mentioned, because we, we skipped, didn't he, didn't he, didn't he go to Navardic at some point earlier? No, they
1: had, they had people from the different Musser movements coming and, and preaching to the yeshivas, so that you had um, the two different streams of, of Musser. You had the one that was kind of central ground, middle ground, which is what most people who do Musser stuff now are involved in, and then you had the extreme group, the extremist group. So my father describes what it was like to see some of these guys preach and what they should be doing. That's why you have to buy the book. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, well, we, we should mention the, the third branch, which is the brisk, which is the anti-Musser uh, movement, yeah. right? So what, what, what was up with that? Is that, is that a Soloveitchik thing? Is that a Rieger thing? Because your grandfather also was anti-Musser, right? Uh,
1: Yeah, I think that for that you'd have to, I I took it here to make sure I'd remember his name, that you should read Stamfer's book, Shaul Stamfer, Lithuanian Yeshivas of the 19th Century, Creating a Tradition of Learning, because that kind of explains the group that rejected it completely because they were afraid that it would take the students away from Torah study and move off into this Musser stuff, which, as you should know, can be really extremist. I mean, the, he was part of this group that you dress nicely and you, you behave nicely. You don't go around wearing your gitsutziot hanging down to the floor and, 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 and rolling barrels in the middle of the street because it's good for your neshama. Give me a break.
0: Okay? <laughs> your grandfather was part of that, like anti-movement, so to speak, right? He
1: kind of ignored it. Mm-hmm. He kind of ignored it. The only thing, according to the stories my father said, was, you'll be sorry to my father. You'll be sorry. When you grow up, ah, when you grow up, you'll be sorry. It's the kind of thing. And by the way, that is what the Muslim movement did. They didn't get the uh, uh, older generation to be that involved in it. The rabbis and things, they moved more very smartly and wisely into the realm of the students themselves. You can. I mean, the influence on, on adolescents. It makes perfectly good sense. You're looking for things.
0: You don't know who you are. Right. Now when you when you when your father came to America, so what, what what was his what was his connection? What was his personal shikhus to Rav saloveitchik and while you were
1: Oh okay. They knew each other from Brisk, obviously. Uh the Rav moved off in his direction. And um, um by the way, my grandfather wrote a letter to the Boston Jewish community. Which Chaim was supposed to give me, and he never did. Um, writing why they should accept the Rav as their rabbi. Okay, and th- he's got these papers. He's stuck in his. Well, at this point, I'm not going to push him anymore. Uh, he's doing his own thing. He's yeah, uh, and yes, we are very good friends, Chaim and I. Okay, because you asked that in one of the the questions over there. Um, so, what the connection was mainly when the Rav would come from Boston to YU and give their, his classes. So, he and my father used to meet in the hallway and they would stand and talk. I met him when I was four years old, a uh, scary man with those eyes, very scary man, the you eyes. Um, and then, as I got older, I would meet up with the Rav periodically, but my father kept in touch with him uh, constantly. Um, But one thing I should add, because it's not in this book, uh, because you're talking about salvation connections and making decisions, Uh, when my mother died in 1979, um, I had a long discussion with my father, and we decided that I'm going to be saying Kaddish for my mother. Uh, I'm a child. Neutral word, child. Okay, English has a neutral word. Um, I had fights. I had, you, I, you don't want to know what happened to me in the various shuls that I went through around New York. But when I went to Boston and I came into the Rub shul, um, I told the shamish right away, Don't faint. I'm going to be saying Kaddish. I'm the only woman here. Oh, I'll get somebody to say it with you. I said, Please don't. So he went immediately right over to the Rub, came back and said, It's okay. You can say it. Well, also, you'll answer. We'll all answer. And kahave. and I went up afterwards to talk with him and we chatted a bit. It was actually the last time uh, I saw him uh, well and himself instead of when he started to get sick. And I thanked him for for backing my decision. He says, no, 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 it's, you're absolutely right and your father's right. And I said, Dr. Soloveitchik, I'm going to write about it. He says, that's okay, you can quote me. So I did, I wrote about it, but not in that book. I have it in my book called Opinionated, uh, the worldview
0: of a Jewish woman. So, yeah. That's Sometimes they can make decisions. <laughs> and that was, is that, that's the book that you, that was your column in the Jewish press, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. But I also included in there the article that I wrote um, that made me famous. I couldn't believe it. 1980, I became famous for my article that I published on Kaddish from the wrong side of the Masjidza.
0: Where
1: It was published in... Um, Susanna Heschel's book on Jewish feminism, which is why most Frummies wouldn't have read it. Okay. (laughs) It came about because Susanna was actually talking to me in my house about um, my course on the Jewish woman that I teach at Yeshiva University. And I looked at my watch and I said, Susanna, you can stay here and wait for me to come back or we can say goodbye now. She says, where are you going? I said, I'm going to shul. I have to say Kaddish for my mother. I will be here. So she published it, and it's been picked up even by the Gentiles. This, co- this one article, it appears in all of the religious uh, things that are put out by America. Religion in America.
0: Okay. Interesting. Did you say college for your father also? Of course. So I'm just confirming.
1: Of course. I even said it for my brother, who didn't deserve it, but none of his kids would have said it, so I said it for him. But only for the month. I did not do it for the year.
0: How many brothers, how many siblings did you have? Or I have two brothers. I'm in the middle. And so you said one, your brothers are alive, they're not alive?
1: No, the older brother died. That's why I said Kaddish for him. My younger brother uh, lives in Israel and has his own life. <laughs>
0: uh-huh. Do you, so so did your father, now that's, that's rough salvation in, 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 from what you, but did you, Did you, what was your father's connection? Did he have any connection to, I guess even, Back this up. You go back. To this. What was you? You mentioned your grandfather. Your grandfather's connection to Reb Chaim. So was that always like that? Even in Brisk, he always had such. Oh a- yes,
1: absolutely. And every time my father uh, came home from wherever he was coming, he had to have a far heron, uh, by by Reb Chaim, uh to check up and make sure that he's actually learning the stuff that he that he's supposed to be learning and doing well. And um, um, at, wait a second, let me just count, out. yeah, 1916, Reb Chaim was at my father's, um, uh, my father's bar mitzvah and uh, gave, in those days when you gave your drusha, your bar mitzvah drusha, you didn't just speak and everybody was very quiet and listen, it was a give and take back and forth where they really tried to kill you, okay? And he very proudly wrote in his memoir that he, he stood his ground even with Reb Chaim. So that was, at yeah. And he loved him, he, he, was, he was like another grandfather. Yeah, he must have been a very personable man.
0: Yeah. yeah. Now, yeah. what was your grandfather of Chazali's connection to the Brisk Ra, Rabbi Shagzeb, his son?
1: Ah, so after the, um, after Reb Chaim died, not in Brisk, but this was, was during the war, um, and everybody came back to, uh, to Brisk, um, the, community came and actually asked my grandfather to be not just a Rosh Aveddin but also to be the rabbi of the community. And my grandmother, according to my father, was so excited, this would be wonderful, this would be great, because she was also thinking in terms of, of earning a living. And my, gran- my grandfather said, no, Rab Chaim hinted to me that he wanted the heir to be Reb velvo not Reb Moshe, but Reb velvo Okay, so that's why Reb Moshe packed his bags and left brisk, because he was older. He was older. He thought it was his right to do it. So the relationship between my grandfather, um, my uh, the Rieger family, and the um, that Salivatic family was not as friendly as it was on the earlier time, but it was good relationship. You know, it was, after all, they were, they lived on top of each other, um, but Reb Velvel was smart in the sense that he saw the writing on the wall. When the war started, he took his sons and escaped to Switzerland, and from Switzerland he ended up going to Eretz
0: Israel. So, what was your father's connection then to the ones in Eretz Israel? Did he have anything to do with um, Reb Beryl, the mayor just, of
1: something? Just everyone when they had weddings or something like that, when there was a simcha, my father would usually be invited. And uh, depending on where it was, he would go or he wouldn't go. He brought, dragged me along to a couple of them as well because I was single. Yeah,
0: okay. <laughs> do you have any connection to any of them now? No, not now. You never? Um, no,
1: the only, the only, um, and even with, with um, the Chicago Soul Matrix, I I really have
0: nothing to do with them. Mm. Right. It's
1: a different generation,
0: different world. Well, abdavid is is still is still alive. He's still he's still the only one left, I think, right? Yeah. In yeah. Generation. Yeah. Yeah. So he uh, the yeshiva world. Everybody knows of them still. The yeshiva and the svarim today. Yurim, It's very uh, very famous. So, was your grandfather was he, Was he? Someone asked me this. I was curious. I don't know At that time everybody was. There was a lot of agudah, like, Mizrahi going on. Was no he, parties.
1: No political not parties. Not affiliated. Non-affiliated. Non-affiliated.
0: And he didn't say Independent. Anything. He was independent. Yeah. So what was his, what were some famous uh, psakim? You mentioned that Gunas, I think also- Oh, you had... guys know this better than I do. But, but doesn't he have, you know, is there a famous one about the fridge, right? That's Of uh... course. Of course.
1: Yeah. And then somebody tried to make it uh, into a different psak that it had to do with the light in the fridge. No, it had to do with using the fridge. My grandfather, I, he must have been amazing. He didn't read the science books, but he called on people who knew science to come in and explain to him, how does electricity work? How does, yeah, and just the fact that he did this kind of thing and put the whole thing together, he memorized the entire, he knew the whole Talmud. He, he was, we use computers to do all the different things. His brain was a computer. Okay, so he put all of the different things together. He worked on, um, um, Sturgeon, whether sturgeon is kosher, or whether sturgeon wasn't kosher. Um, He worked on, I mean, he also gave some funny uh, ones. I mean, there's a famous story that everybody Brisk knew about where you had this billy goat that was very dangerous and kept knocking people down. It was dangerous for children and kept breaking into people's kitchens and eating the stuff, but he was a b'hor. So you can't kill a b'hor. Yeah, a has to go, right? So they came and they said, Rev what are we going to do? He's, he's dangerous. And my grandfather, with his my mother, my father used to imitate him. He can have an accident. <laughs> so he doesn't say, go out and do something. To him. He can have an accident. So the whole town went out and chased his goat until he fell off the roof, and the Shohite was right there. And
0: <laughs> Yeah. Wow. So your father used to imitate your grandfather. He used to talk. Uh, A little bit,
1: yeah. My grandfather was very tall according to my father,
0: uh, well
1: over for brisk, 5'8, five, 5'9, five, maybe even 5'10. And the whole Rieger family took after my grandmother and everybody was short. Okay. So nobody, nobody inherited that. And by the way, just as a comment, just because you have a genius doesn't mean there are going to be genius descendants. So just keep that in mind for all of you, that we should all know that. You can inherit bits and pieces of his specialties, but nobody of the descendants comes anywhere near what my grandfather was.
0: Right. I mean, that's what they say. I mean, also, people need the I should throw away, I mean, everyone knows this, I assume listening, most people, that he's, he's quoted in Reb Chaim. Reb Chaim Chazale, he is quoted. So you have his stuff in there. And, and I said to you, they, they published from Reb Chaim about a year and a half ago. They called it the Togbuch, the new Kisri Reb Chaim. There is a, in the back, from your grandfather in there also. Right, right. Where is that from, that piece? you know where that one's from?
1: Um, I'm not sure. I know that I have all the stuff on the, on my shelves over there. I'm not going to get up and start and start looking, but the, the man who I asked you, whether you knew him or not, I'm not going to say his name because he's, he already got a notice that this was going to be taking place. Okay. So he's on your list somewhere. Um, um, uh, he published and he keeps me uh, posted on things that have been coming out in, other people's books as kind of asides okay so I know that 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 people have been collecting those things and by the way you asked why I published it in English because I was advised that the market was bigger in English than it would have been in
0: Hebrew so there you got it and no, I think I wasn't say I think that's right but I think if you if you would publish in Hebrew one day, I think there would be a market for that also though okay
1: and also remember that I look at his memoir my father's memoir as a piece of history for everybody. And it's not just yeshiva guys that are buying this thing. You asked me if I've had emails. I've had emails from all over very interesting people who are not even necessarily Jewish that are using this as a World War I memoir in classes in various things that, that, that they're working on. So that's partly
0: why I did it that way. Absolutely. It's fascinating. Would you ever consider publishing the, the, the memoir in the original or no? It's published in English and that's it. Um,
1: I was waiting to be um, contacted by an Israeli press. It hasn't happened yet. Sure, it can come out in Hebrew. The memoir is, reads beautifully. I only have a couple of pages that the academic studies press agreed to put in, you know, the facsimile that you have over there. Right.
0: Yeah. Right, no, and, and yeah, it's an it's a absolutely fascinating book. So would you ever consider yourself or someone else, was someone, is there a, should someone write a biography on your grandfather or this is the book? This book obviously has tons of information about him. Like,
1: I don't know where they would get the material from. Right. Yeah, that's part of it because it's mostly oral uh, um, memories um, or some things that people wrote down. By the way, I've been asked to, to translate the book into Russian <laughs> Go, as I say, gay-based. <laughs> <laughs> That's very interesting. I haven't decided yet whether yes or no. I'm, I'm just thinking about it. It just happened a couple of weeks ago. I mean, do, do you know Russian? No. No, no, no. This is Academic Studies Press has a major branch that they deal with books in Russian that are geared towards the Russian-speaking Russians in Russia, Okay, the Jews and the ones that are here in this country that are more comfortable with Russian than with English.
0: Right. And Brooklyn has lots of them. Interesting. And yeah. like you said, so now, now you mentioned you had feedback from other people, but did you get a lot of feedback from the yeshiva world?
1: Yeah, I got feedback from the yeshiva world. Some of it was polite. Some of it was not. Um, uh, they caught me. There were a couple of them that caught me in mistakes that I made very small mistakes that I made in translation. And since I'm not uh, that adept in, 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 in uh, Talmud studies, I made a couple of bubas and I saved all of them, answered each of them, thank you. Okay. One of them who was very impolite. I said, did you at least get something out of the rest of the book instead of just trying to find something that I made? It was, oh, I got back this huge apology. Deb. Okay. But yes, they, they sent in some people actually identified some of the people that I had written over there that I didn't know what their last names were. So that was really good. Yeah, that I was able to do that.
0: Is this something you would Correct those mistakes and add in those names in a new edition
1: yes I have a folder with all of the stuff that if it ever comes out in the second edition i 'll be able to add those things to it and make the corrections as well
0: right right. I think I, I noticed one of them when I was reading the book, but I, but I like I said, definitely like you said the the, the book definitely that 's not the point. The book was fascinating, it made a real impression it was just a, a fabulous book like i said and, and being someone that you mentioned I forgot about Replay Hyman was people know him from from Vedas? he was your father's kharusa what's the story with that
1: well <laughs> he was my father's teacher um, and when we came over when he came over to the united states i remember him I remember I was a kid, because every Purim, we would go down with Shalach Manas, and I would be Farheret, all right, again, all right, with Rob. he married my cousin, he married my father's cousin, yes. My father's, uh, she was not from Rebsim Simchazelik's side, she was from my mother's side, but she made two wonderful marriages, as I write in the book, through this so-called yichus, which wasn't really yichus because it was through marriage, um, so she married Harav Hyman and came over here. This is my cousin Fagel. And after Reb Hyman died, I think I was still pretty small when he died. Uh, she made a second marriage of Harav Unterman, uh, chief rabbi of Tel Aviv. So she did pretty well. And as I write in the book, when I went to visit her, uh, when I went uh, to Mahon Gold, I had to go visit all of these people. Oh my God! One of the worst experiences of my life was going to visit Harav Shah. <laughs> my father what say, you have to go and give regards to all of these different people. Okay, so I had to go and, and, and give regards to Rav Shah, a so what woman, happened? So what happened? 19 years old. Okay, single. All right. I dressed properly. I wore my long sleeves. I wore a skirt that was very tziniyistic. I went and I rang the bell in B'nai Brak. And this young man opened the door, looks at me and says, yeah, <laughs> Ken. That <laughs> said, I'm here to see Harav Shah. Bati L'Vaker. It's Harav Shach. Meat. It's the attitude, you know, that really turned me off. You know, all my feminist things came out at that point. So, because I usually didn't, don't, even down today, I very rarely tell people what my, you know, about my grandfather, unless there's a point to doing it. So I said, that I'm bringing regards, I am the granddaughter of, and let me in right now and fix your attitude. (laughs) So I went in and I had to sit with this man and he gave me a fire heron also, and what are you doing? And what are you interested in? He says, what do you mean? Aren't you here to get married, to meet somebody that I should introduce you to? I said, no. He says, why not? You're older than 16. And I said, because I want to be somebody and do something with my life. You sound like your father. <laughs> okay. I said, thank you for the compliment. And I started to get up. He says, no, I'm not finished. He made me sit there for a good half an hour. Yeah. So he was, he was kind of impressed that one of my teachers was Nachama Lebovich. He was impressed with what I was learning in her class. So at least he knew about her. Scary man, scary, scary man.
0: What did you meet? Did you meet any of the Baron Lame Steinman or any of the other ones? Any of the, anyone else? Yeah, I went to visit him as well,
1: you know, but that was not as nasty. Yeah. Well, he was a
0: different personality.
1: Yeah, different personality. Oh, he was, he was, he was a savage. Yeah, yeah.
0: He, he was, so he was, you, I don't, you what happened there? Just regular.
1: Just talking. How's my father? What's doing? Do I have, do I want to get married again?
0: You yeah, know, everybody with the married.
1: Yeah, so, um, right. So I said no, and he then asked about Machon Gold. He wanted to know about the teachers who I had. And he was very impressed with some of the teachers and he wished me luck and I never went back. I never went back to either of them. No way. <laughs> Any
0: other ones that you went to or no? Oh, no. that's Meltzer had
1: already died, but I didn't meet his, his, uh, one of his sons. Um, so I went to the yeshiva, to visit the yeshiva in Rehovot. Yeah, that was interesting. And I met some of the Russian yeshiva there who just told me about my grandfather. They, you know, they weren't interested in, the, in any of the other things. Um, but that's it. I live in a different world. Right. I live in a different world. I live in modern orthodoxy. And, and uh, I'm always surprised when the YU students know who my grandfather was.
0: Well, because they know they don't know the brisk Torah. I think. That's all the... yeah. yeah. Well, I forgot to ask one more, but obviously famous one. Did your father, ever, was Baruch Bear ever talked about Baruch Baer Leibovitz or They never talked about him because he was the big Talmud uh, Rup That was never discussed.
1: Maybe he did, and I just don't
0: remember. Nothing that you remember, you're saying? No, nothing that I remember. And we've been talking for an hour. Perfect. I'm going to upload. I'm sure everyone's going to really enjoy it. Thank you very much for, for joining Justice. How do people get to see it? They get onto your... So severely- yeah, so they're not going to see it. I'm going to upload it as an audio. It's going to be... I'm going to send you an email. It's going to be... So it's going to be... It goes to podcast and it'll be on every podcast. I don't know if you're familiar with podcast platform. Oh, so, so it's
1: Apple. only... Uh, oh, so you won't see me. Why did I bother getting my haircut? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it'll be... I'm kidding you. Yeah, I know. So it'll be on audio. It'll be everywhere. You can, they can find it. Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher. If you're familiar, it'll be all over and everybody will be able to... Uh, and I'll also try to include... The link to the book, which is, like I said, um, fantastic. Everybody should, should read it if they haven't already.
1: Okay, because I'm now going to tell the press because they always want to know when there's any kind of publicity. So I'm just going to tell them that it's a podcast.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm going to send you the link as well so you can forward that. Okay. Down. So, okay. Cool. so thank you very much. I really appreciate it.
1: This was fun, <laughs> okay, thank And you. good luck with law school. Okay. Thanks. I yeah. hope you liked it more than I did. Hopefully. Well,
0: I felt it was warping my brain. Do you feel <laughs> that way too? No, but well, well so so thank you very much and I hope everybody enjoyed.